The rain in Spain is something in the plains. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. That's bullshit. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I am Eric Brickmont. So, Brian, uh, I wanted to thank you for inviting me out to the movie the other night. I was the last oh, you're person... Welcome. Well, I was the last person on the planet to see The Dark Knight. <laughs> I don't think you're the last person, but... I, I, I was probably the last person who was really interested in seeing The Dark Knight to actually have gone and, and seen it. And I, would, I wanted to see it. It's just life's been really busy and it's hard to get out and... You, know, you got a family and you got kids and it's tricky to, to actually get out to go and see a movie. Uh, but it was it was well worth it. Um, and we had a fun little adventure actually trying to get to see it. Yeah, we totally did because uh, we the, our original objective was to go see it in an IMAX screen. But I, being a schlub, totally um, misread the times and we actually got there two and a half hours into... Right. Or in two which and a half, there was a very annoyed looking security guard who was sitting there wondering why why we were banging on the door yeah. and looking so perplexed as to how we, right. we were able to get in. And, uh, and just to clarify, this is not just a, any IMAX. This was the the Dome IMAX, the ultimate right. IMAX experience. Yeah. For our listeners who are not from the Bay Area, uh, there is... Well, there's I, I can go off for a very long tangent about IMAX, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Case in point, I'll just keep it short. If you want to see true IMAX, you need to see it in a Dome. And right. in the Bay Area, there's like two... There is actually really only one. Well, there's the Tech Museum, which is like the original IMAX in this area. That was the first. Right. Well, there was one at Great America, but that one has since shut down. Right. But that was the original one. And But this is the only one one that's still standing. Okay. Um, And it usually, it actually had stopped running commercial films for a long period of time. It would only do documentaries through the museum. Up until the first Batman Right, the first. No, even after that, it, it, had, it had stopped because um, they had done that, and then I think after. Um, really, they didn't do the Dark Knight. Dark Knight was not done in in really? the Dome IMAX. I know, very upsetting, right? Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So they have the first one done, but they didn't do the second one, and they did the third one. Correct, and they that's when they kind of wised up and realized they were missing a tremendous revenue opportunity. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, those who have heard our Nerds on Film podcast have known that I am a very hardcore Batman fan. And this was actually my fourth time seeing Dark Knight Rises. Uh, and I, I wanted to see it with someone who had not seen the movie yet. So that was, it was great. And watching the look on his face was really, really great. <laughs> That's because, true. I saw you looking over yeah. at me several times. Yeah. And be like, ah, yeah. here it comes. Yeah, yeah. But I think the funniest thing I remember of that movie was when it was getting very, very tense in the middle of the second act. He looked over me and just said, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how are we going to get out of this? <laughs> so he was definitely in, engrossed in the story. And to bring well, things to a historical perspective, yeah. stories is what have driven the imaginations of children and adults alike for years. And none so much as uh, superheroes, and as, but really mythological heroes. And Well, they're, they're binding. They're really um, one of the key facets of society. When we actually sat down and we moved away from being so concerned with our survival, with you know collecting and gathering food, or even um, you know just just you know where are we gonna where are we gonna sleep one night compared to the other, and we've actually then started focusing on all the nice things in life and and being able to sit down and really just uh, 
create a story and bring people in the community to get together. Honestly, it was the the ability to really gather around as a community then and share these stories that, that made us feel closer, um, that allowed us to imagine something that was greater than we, what we were and to strive for something greater than what we are. I've said it in the other podcast and others have certainly repeated it. There are now college courses on this now that, that superheroes are our modern mythology. Absolutely. No question they are our modern mythology. And um, when you hear, the funny thing is that 60 years ago, these were things that were not reputable. They were, they were low culture. They were, um, and yet now they are being academically analyzed and praised. It makes my heart warm on the inside. Well, when you think about it, I mean, the, the people who are putting these together, these original you know, comic books and stories and radio dramas that have evolved into everything that has become the, the modern superhero, they were looking to our ancient stories, our ancient heroes as actually being the examples for a lot of these. And you can draw, you know, enormous parallels between, uh, you know, a lot of our ancient heroes and the modern heroes today. Striking parallels, actually. Yeah. In fact, I think I'd like to play a little game with you, Eric. Okay. Okay. Ooh, exciting. All right. Because I'm going to bring up some very similar origin stories. Okay. And you're going to guess who I'm thinking of. We didn't plan this. I can tell I know. you. Yeah, so. If, if, <laughs> if it sucks, we'll like, just Oh, okay, we're going to go this way. All right. Yeah. If, if it sucks, we'll just, we'll just re-record it. Okay. It's, it's okay. No big, <laughs> no big deal. The magic of podcasting. So, um, okay, so first is a, a, a superhero who, um, or would be, or a hero who would have been placed in a, uh, a vessel Okay. By his parents, and he escapes a very t- his very tumultuous home. Okay. And finds haven in a foreign place. Okay. And is raised thinking he is among them, but when he's really not. Who are you thinking of? Uh, I'm going to go with Superman. You would think Superman. I'm actually thinking of Moses. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I, when I when I think of superheroes or even heroes of of, of ancient origin. It's interesting that you bring up Moses. There's a lot of parallels between the stories. Yeah. We think of we don't think of biblical characters as being mythological. And of course, to people who are very religious, I do not I mean no offense what in, in any way sure. to that whatsoever. Um, but there are stark parallels that when you think about it. Yeah. Well, um, I mean the, the the idea of a whole mythos surrounding something is just the the stories that it conveys its meaning and and, it, and its importance, really. So, you know, absolutely. Why can't uh, why can't we draw a parallel there? Okay. I'm going to throw another one at you. Okay, okay. All right. All right. A wealthy person okay. has uh, someone who is dear to him taken away, and he rises above his cultural uh, place to act as a force of justice, but it's also at the risk of him being uh, criticized or actually pursued by the establishment. Well, okay. I mean, this sounds like Batman. It sounds like, sounds like Batman. But, and, and you're right, it is. But it's also very much Robin Hood when you think about it as well. Okay, that's a good point too. This is good. I like this. Yeah. And the point we're getting at is we're talking about two characters. Moses is thousands of years old. Yeah. Let's go with three to 4,000 years old. The Robin Hood stories date back well into the early um, English lore. In fact, we don't really know exactly for sure when they started, they came about. Mm. But. They just, we went when they were written, and they were written down, put to writing, excuse me, sometime in the, in the Middle Ages. But prior to that, they were just stories that had been told around. That's the, the point I'm getting at, is that we, we've taken 
these these mythological characters and we've repurposed them for a modern world. Okay, well, I'm going to turn the game around on you then. Okay. Okay, so I'm thinking of a figure who is uh, very much godlike, owes much of his his strength and power um, to a civilization that is that is very different and unknown, uh, <laughs> but is able to perform amazing feats and be considered to be a, a true hero among all men. Yeah, see, I would also think Superman right away because you mentioned things of like uh, a civilization that is different from our own, and I would think, okay, that sounds very Kryptonian, but it, I'm very, I'm very curious to hear what you're. I, I think you and probably other listeners are are thinking more along the lines of Hercules. Hercules, oh, interesting, and that's that's definitely where I would have to take it if I were you. And, and honestly, when we think about a tradition of heroes and we think about a tradition of ancient heroes, uh, a lot of us, our minds gets pulled instantly to the Greeks, and Hercules, of course, is one of those absolutely well-recognized uh, figures from ancient history who embodies everything that we kind of want to be. You know, he's super strong and he's he's part God. Um, he's a hero. He's able to go around and, you know, take care and, and help people out and perform amazing feats. And he was so significant and important that they tied him into actual historical events that were going on um, and tied this mythology in to validify these events and, and give a special meaning to them. Uh, the Olympics instantly comes to mind. Uh, if you right. really think about it, you know, just recently we had um, the 2012 Summer Olympics in London, yeah. uh, which is a tradition that has been going on since the late 19th century into the 20th century in its modern form. Yeah, 1896 was the first modern Olympics. Right, and, yeah. you know, of course, they were basing theirs off of the original uh, Olympic Games that took place in Athens uh, thousands of years ago, uh, in which Hercules was mythologically tied in to be the the founder and father of these games. Right. Uh, due to his incredible you know strength and feats that he performed, others would then uh, attempt and emulate that and, right. and prove their worth and prove that they were very much like superheroes. Sure. And Hercules was such a big deal to the Romans and the Greeks because, I mean, Romans named a whole town after him. Herculaneum yeah. was well, named... <laughs> Poor Herculaneum. Yeah, yeah. Which For those of you who don't know, was consumed by uh, a terrible volcanic eruption, which is much more well known for its destruction of uh, the city of Pompeii. But it was uh, the same. It was the it was the same Mount Vesuvius, right? It was the yeah, same. Yeah, and eruption. actually, Herculaneum was a whole lot closer than uh, Pompeii was, and got really uh, well done over. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting about and, Her can, I'm sorry. Can we pause for a moment and just say why the hell would you build such a really <laughs> nice place? Next to a known active volcano. Yeah. Can you I'm imagine? Serious. Can you imagine if real estate brokers existed back in this time? <laughs> oh, you'll love this place. You'll love it. It's got this gorgeous mountain. It may, you know, it. it wait, wait, wait. It what what, what it just happened to the earth? It, it it's, it, no, it's technically a volcano, but it's fine. It's yes. fine. It's, you know, this happens all the time. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's like a one and. 4,000 chance that this thing's going to erupt. <laughs> but look at the view. Look at the view of the of the Mediterranean. And you know, hot, you know, superheated burning ash is, is really not as bad as people say. No, no, no. It's good for the lungs. Yeah, it's good for the skin. It exfoliates. Exactly. Um, all right. Sorry. We had to, no, we, we okay. had to take it there. I'm we, sorry. We did have to go there. Um, but Hercules <laughs> is definitely unique too, especially to the Romans and Greeks, because he was one of the rare times in the Greek mythology where you have a a man who was born demigod because he was the son of Zeus and the, the mother of, of a, or his mother was human. I remember that. Right, right. I can't remember. No one remembers his mother's name. Right, yeah. Unless you're well, some, some Greek historian somewhere is just it's like oh, jumped God. out of his chair in anger. But um, there, uh, but he's unique in that after he died, and he died from some sort of, was it Hades gave him some sort of disease or something? 
But when he died, Zeus promoted him. He became he, full he god. He became a god. He yeah. became full god. And the the Romans and the Greeks idolized that because it was almost like I think he was their patron god of of slavery. What wasn't he? Because it was their because when if slaves were eventually strived toward freedom, he was kind of their sign. Was that he was born a man, but he ended up becoming something much more yeah. than that. Which, if you think about it, is what all superheroes are. Yeah, it's what we all idolize about them. Yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting shift, too, because if you just go, you know, a few thousand years earlier into ancient Egypt, um, you did actually kind of have their own versions of, of, of heroes in their, in their lore, in their mythology. Um, they were strictly gods, though. The concept and idea of the demigod was something that surrounded only the pharaoh. The pharaoh was believed to be born of the gods. And actually, to me, one of the, one of the stories that really strikes uh, light on this whole conversation would be uh, the god Horus. So Horus, just in really in brief, there's, a, there's an epic battle between him and his uncle Seth, who is this god of chaos and destruction, whereas Horus is this, uh, the god of, of, of kingship, and he embodies everything that the pharaoh is. And so, of course, within this mythology, uh, the pharaoh has to overcome all of this and take his rightful place. And it's a, it's a process of, you know, um, taking his father's place and, and avenging his father's death, which is this overarching theme that we see then permeate through all these other stories, uh, these revenge stories, if you will, uh, all up into our modern mythology today. And he does so by engaging a whole series of epic battles uh, between him and his and his uncle Seth until he becomes victorious and then uh, it's declared the the ruler uh, of, of Egypt and that's the embodiment now of the pharaoh and the pharaoh really took all the credit right the pharaoh got all the benefit from it whereas then we move over into you know Greek and Phoenician times and we now see their heroes becoming more anthropomorphized you know they're taking on um, the not only the appearance of being human but they themselves are part human. And other people, you know, the common person can now look at that and identify with that and, and you know, be inspired by it. Right. You mentioned uh, Perseus as a, a good example. Another good example of a kind of your everyman who happens to also secretly be a demigod. Yeah. Who rises above. Or look at Odysseus and, you know, the whole, the whole epic of the Iliad and, you know, everything going on with the Trojan War. Uh, they pull together so many Greek gods and heroes. It's almost kind of like the original uh, Avengers or Justice League yeah. uh, in ancient times, right? Was was this uh, was Homer's Odyssey? Uh, sure. It's, it's you know it's interesting, and uh, let's not forget also Gilgamesh. I would I would hate myself if I didn't mention Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is the first known epic poem. It's the first oh, known yeah. epic that we at least that we can find. That he we is have. he is the original superhero, really. Yeah. Gilgamesh was unique because the, the Mesopotamians didn't really have a sense of genealogy at this point. Right. Because <laughs> Gilgamesh was one-third god. No, no, no. He was two-thirds god. Oh, he was two-thirds god. Yeah. Oh, well, my bad. You have to forgive me. <laughs> That's okay. But even still, it's kind of an odd concept to think of being exactly. two-thirds god. You have to think about, like, what what happened there? What, <laughs> and in many ways, he was also the very first one to have a sidekick. Every superhero has an arc. You right. Know, they all have an origin story. In right? a weird way, you know who he's like? He's a lot like Tony Stark when you think about it. He's a wealthy, he's a very haughty man. Yeah. And then when he's faced with conflict, he actually learns to be humble and moral. Right. Um, I mean, well, let's pull it together for the audience who don't know the epic. I mean, I'll give it to you in a real, real, real short way. Okay. Um, essentially, Gilgamesh is a king of Uruk, which, you know, at this time in Mesopotamia, there wasn't really one unified empire, there were a bunch of small city states. Um, and he represented the, the kingship of one of these city-states. And he was a tyrant. 
I mean, he was doing some pretty mean and nasty things, like breaking into a newlywed's uh, bedchamber on her wedding night and essentially forcing his way onto her, and the, the husband just had to accept it. And doing a lot of really horribly nasty things. And things that we would find completely deplorable even by today's standards. Yeah, which people thought were deplorable back then as well. And so the people of this uh, this poor Uruk then cried out to the gods and told them to you know bring some element of stability to this. And so that's where the sidekick comes in. That's where Ikidu comes in. But rather than being a sidekick going around helping him to do all these horrible things to women, uh, they instead form this this creature who can be equal to him in strength and be able to actually challenge him. And he's yeah. very much a wild man. You know, he's covered in hair and he's he lives among animals and he's he's very. Um, He's very uncivilized. And so what do they do? They hired him a prostitute. <laughs> right, exactly. A harlot. As a harlot. Said. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, <laughs> in many ways, uh, it, it actually reflects what happens to men after sex. They get pacified and <laughs> become easier to manipulate. <laughs> there's, there's definitely a double, a double uh, purpose there. And, and I appreciate the irony that a prostitute is the moral compass. Of, know, right? the moral compass <laughs> of the story. But... Um, no offense, you commercial sex workers out there. Yeah, Just no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, that again, yeah. that's a whole other podcast. Uh, absolutely. Um, but in doing so, though, he he then gets kind of adopted into this family, and then um, learns to wear clothing and become essentially an equal to the king. Yeah, uh, someone who's now equal in strength and equally civilized, and can go and take on the king. And they go through this epic battle with one another that lasts for days and nights. And in doing so, they end up developing a mutual respect for each other. And the best of Ikidu then starts to rub off onto Gilgamesh and vice versa. And they become like brothers almost. Yeah. And so now who was this anti-hero at one point um, now becomes right. the true protagonist. And the two of them carry on and do all sorts of adventures yeah. and fight off you know, mythological creatures uh, and all sorts of bad yeah. things. And in much like many great hero myths, when you draw a bond to such a character... The only way for the hero to fully develop is if you lose that character. That's right. And Enkidu was the first example of this because yeah. um, the main villainess of this, uh, she was the queen of heaven. That was her name. I can't remember her. Uh, Ishtar, I believe. Ishtar, thank you. Ishtar. She sends, was it, they beat the bull of heaven or she sends the bull of heaven? She sends to, the bull of heaven and uh, it ends up killing, it ends up taking the life of Enkidu. Yeah. And then Gilgamesh ends up slaying it. Yeah, um, and it's actually a, largely in part to the, the fact that she had made advances towards um, Gilgamesh, who was then at this point saying, "No, no, thanks, not interested." Yeah, she in was spurned. Yeah, she was. Uh, so she was a woman scorned. She was a woman scorned. Thank you, because she was spurned by uh, by Gilgamesh, and um, you know, it's when you figure it out. You know, that's it's a device that's been used over and over again. Sure, Captain America lost uh, Bucky. Batman has had. One of his Robins get killed. How by, many Robins has he gone through now? Like four uh, of them or something? It depends on if you're counting by canon or non-canon standards. Yeah. Um, Regardless, he's he's lost yeah. his fair share. Yeah. Non-canon standards, just for the record here, just so you know. Thinking just in general, how many Robins have there been? Period. There have been five. Wow. Yeah. By canonical standards, there have been four. Because there was Dick Grayson, the original Robin. Uh, Jason Todd was the second Robin who was killed by the Joker. There was the third Robin, Tim Drake. And then there is... Actually, no, I'm sorry. There have been six. I'm totally mistaken. Um, Robin had a girlfriend for a while. She had a masked persona, too. She was called Spoiler. Uh, oh, but okay. when Tim... she go around telling people the end of movies? <laughs> go to them in line? <laughs> I, I, no. It's um, okay. But, He's yeah. actually fine. He survived. <laughs> Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> I am the Spoiler. <laughs> um, 
she was the only female Robin that there's been. Hmm. Uh, and then there was, uh, blowing your mind for a second, Batman's illegitimate son, Damien, who's the current Robin. Um, okay. And, yeah, and the sixth one who um, I was thinking about was the Robin from The Dark Knight Returns, which was a... A, a an Elseworld story. It was taken completely out of the, right, the context. Right, right. More paying homage than anything. Exactly, and that was also a female Robin. Bringing it back to to history, right? History. I mean that that overwhelming loss that it was experienced um, kind of forces Gilgamesh then really reevaluate everything that he's doing, and he goes out on this this epic um, continuation of his journey alone, searching for the key to immortality. And eventually decides upon, you know, actually comes to the truth that it's just not for him. Uh, and then he should just return to his kingdom and be the best king that he can possibly be to honor the memory of his friend and to take care of the people that he, that he loved. And again, how many, how many uh, tie-ins to, to all sorts of other modern stories that we tell? The most recent Pirates of the Caribbean movie comes to mind with the whole searching for the Fountain of Youth. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Ponce de Leon, a real-life person who was equally is obsessed with you gotta love jack sparrow because he's he's that true anti-hero he's yeah. the he's the guy you love to hate right you know he's 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 rotten but at the same time he's also he's also does the right thing in the right sure. moment and there's, there's there's a certain point you bring this up is where do we draw the line between mythological hero and superhero why do some people count why does robin hood count as a superhero right. but not indiana jones or um and what brings this up is because for me I've been fascinated with superheroes since birth. You know, long, lifelong Batman fan, also a very big Superman fan. Well, it's also that giant S-shaped uh, birthmark you have on your chest. You know, we didn't have to bring that up. But that's, <laughs> but that's, but All right, I, I, I may have fabricated that. <laughs> At one point, I actually wanted to do a, a report on superheroes uh, for a class. And in my, my rumblings to, to do research in the library... Because this is, you know, the late 90s when there was no actual internet at this point. It was still kind of in its uh, burgeoning stages. As difficult as that is to remember. Yeah. Um, I came across this great book called The Encyclopedia of Superheroes. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, this was like, you had literally handed me the original Bible. That's what, <laughs> that's like, that's how, what this looked like to me. And it was old and tattered too. I could tell it had had its, its. It's run. And it was written, it was compiled by another comic book writer, actually. His mm. name is Jeff Rovin. Um, in fact, this might be a good opportunity to work in a chirp. There's a website in re researching tonight's episode where we found there's a database specifically for these types of works. So Eric's going to go ahead and chirp that over to you guys real quick. Coming your way. And uh, this is kind of like IMDb, but it's mostly, it's more bibliographic. It's not really meant for extended information right. about a topic, but it's a good place to reference stuff. And you can find the Encyclopedia of Superheroes and Jeff Rovin on this site. It's out of print, so you're going to have to do some looking for it. I'm sure if you went to abebooks.com, that's a really great uh, resource for sure. out, of, out of print books. You might be able to find a copy or, or maybe even look at your local kind of... Um uh, used bookstore, recycled kind of bookstore. Definitely. The Santa Clara County Library, the last I checked, had two in circulation. One got retired because that was the one I had. It was pretty beat up. Uh, I was, I think, one <laughs> Wait, of the last hold people. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you retire a book on superheroes no, from the public library? No, I didn't retire it. I brought it back to them. They realized, oh, wow, this is really old. Yeah, I know, because you yeah. probably had it for how many years? <laughs> he also made an encyclopedia of supervillains, too, as oh, like a second volume. that's kind of cool. A little yin and yang action going on there. Exactly. If they made that as an ebook. I can imagine it'll be downloaded. Absolutely. But you can also fast. find, um, was it D&K, the company? They do all these different like 
uh, encyclopedic, encyclopedic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Works. yeah. Um, they've also released ones for DC and for for Marvel um, separately. Please excuse my iPad. Um, they, they've released them, so they kind of they now have their own. Publishers have their own, but this was cool because it was independent, and he brought other characters into it because he counted Robin Hood, he counted Merlin as a definition of a superhero. Um, and to him and in the forward to that book, what he defined as a superhero, and Her- Hercules, of course, is in this as well, um, maybe even Gilgamesh, actually, now that I think yeah. about it, um, is that, number one, there is something about them that's larger than life. And number two, it is either uh, a special ability or a, a very, very specified talent of theirs that comes into play into their heroics. That's why, like, Indiana Jones, for example, wouldn't qualify, because he relies more on luck, according to Robin. Hmm. Uh, That's an interesting distinction. Yeah. But um, he, I, I don't know. i got to have to argue for Indy for a second there, because he was larger in life in the sense that, you know, he, w- he had a, a real keen sense of knowledge, very encyclope- encyclopedic. Uh, he was, you know, quite well-traveled. He was able to figure his way out of any situation that kind of came across his way. Uh, he was well-known in, in both academic society or circles and, and others. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to argue that. That's probably just the nerdy archaeologist in me, though. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Please um, ignore me. That's okay. But, you know, you had your heyday, though, because the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, includes Alan Quartermain, who many people believe it was the basis for Indiana Jones. And Alan Quartermain oh. actually is considered a superhero. Oh, good. Okay, so Indy's a superhero by proxy. Okay, that works for me. by proxy. Uh, but he also brings up other characters who are from the pulp era. The Shadow, of course, is a superhero. Oh, yeah. How can we talk, not talk about The Shadow? He was one of the first the costume. Shadow. Exactly. And he was one of the first costume heroes, which is really important. And even if you've never even heard uh, a single you know episode of The Shadow, you still know that The Shadow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, didn't they re- didn't they make that into a movie though in the nineties? They did, and it was a. I thought Wasn't it was a, a great bomb. Movie. It did it did not do very well, but actually it's a it holds up. It, Alec Baldwin, who has got this very velvety voice, was perfectly cast as yeah. the voice of the shadow. <laughs> I thought it was great. It was a very great nod to the Orson Welles radio show. Cool, but also characters that have kind of fallen into obscurity, like the Phantom, was another one of the first costume and masked heroes. Of those of that time period, it's, I think it's also important to talk about the cultural impact that these have had on. Now going more into modern times, talking about what sure. was the cultural impact that these comic books have had on our society, because they've not only helped uplift a people in times of duress, but they've also been their mirror. Much like we were talking about on our episode on television, we were talking yeah, about absolutely that. how it broke so many barriers and and introduced uh, so many hot topics that were that were key to our to our development as a culture. And everything that was going on in America at that time with the civil rights movement and all of that that was happening. A lot of those comic book heroes came about, you know, right in the early part of the 20th century, right? When there was a lot of war and economic strife that was taking over the planet. Sure. And even though, like, the, the big wig ones, Superman, Captain America, Batman, all came when we were coming out of the Depression and really getting into World War II, they still reflected something. Superman was very much, even though he was, it was written in later that he was from another planet, he was still this the symbol of hope during a time where people had nothing. You know, he would always fight for the common man, the people who were who had nothing. He would always save them. Well, okay, can, can I ask you to do me a yeah. favor? You told me a story the other day, a few weeks ago, about the the origin 
of Superman, how they how they came up with the idea. Yeah, I just got a little glassy eyed bringing it up. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was such an incredible story, and I really would like you to share it with sure. everyone. Well, listening. first, let's bring this another chirp into this because, um, and I'm going to chirp this one. Okay. Um, so to to preface this, um, there's an author named Brad Meltzer, and he recently released a book that's called The Book of Lies, uh, which is kind of like a really interesting name. But he talks about kind of a, a hidden occurrence that took place in one of the creators of Superman's life. Superman was created by two people, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And what uh, Meltzer's book talks about this, um, so let me go ahead and send the chirp your way here. Uh, this is from an article we found from the Telegraph in, in uh, England. Uh, and what's really fascinating is that Jerry Siegel's dad uh, ran, I believe it was a grocery store, is mm-hmm. what it was. It was a grocery store or some sort of shop, and he was burglarized one night. Mm. And the um, the burglar wanted his money, and Siegel's father refused. So the burglar, unfortunately, shot him. Shot him and killed him. And killed him. Wow. And now, Siegel was 16, 17 years old when this happened. Yeah. A very influential stage. And I get glassy-eyed and get emotional just rethinking it about how emotional that is. Um, but you think about it, that... That's when they created Superman. Superman was a project they've had since they were in high school. Hmm. And um, and you had mentioned that a lot of this, a lot of his powers stemmed from, you know, gosh, what wouldn't it be great if bullets could just bounce off your chest? Right. And now he didn't know this is an inference that Meltzer's making, but yeah. it's interesting to think that his father had died two years before by being shot to death. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they come up with a character who has bullets bounce off his chest. And that's like, and that's a that's a key shtick that they went with all the time. You know, Absolutely. Was... Now, even though Superman, in actually his original original form, the Reign of Superman, was a short story they had written in high school. Was actually he was a bad guy. He oh. was a space villain. But that went away very, very quickly. They realized no, he's meant to born be a hero than a villain. Was so, he called Superman originally? He was, and he looked even very, though he was a bad guy, and he actually looked very Lex Luthor like he was kind of <laughs> this old bald guy who got kind of hunched in a chair. It was oh, that's ironic. That's it was yeah, it was a very very different take on the character. I can't help but think the irony too that Superman fought for truth, justice, and the American way. He is the next to Captain America. He is the like the iconic American, American superhero. superhero. Yeah, and so many people in America latched on to that. And when we think of America at this time, we're thinking of America that's predominantly Christian, predominantly xenophobic at this time. Yeah. And the irony is that Superman was actually the product of two Canadian Jews. <laughs> <laughs> so who knew, right? Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Man, that just that, that knocks me yeah. for a loop. I, you know, I was, it really, really touched me when you told me that story the first time. And I really wanted to share it because, you know, I can imagine how many kids are out there when they first pick up a comic book. And the kind of things that are going on in their lives. You know, we all go through so much when we're growing up and discovering kind of who we are. And, and it doesn't always go smoothly. And there's a lot of times when we look to comfort and we look to something um, to inspire us. And, I, you know, comic books and their superheroes were in many ways that, that escape or that connection that, that kids needed to make. Uh, it helped them get through some rough times. And maybe that wasn't necessarily the intention when Superman was first created, but you know, knowing that it was kind of in some ways born out of that kind of tragedy is quite appropriate in, in, in a way, in the way that it's helped so many people and how people can connect with that and, and make those kind of connections. You know, we, we've always talked about the Great Depression in, in history classes, but you know, there are entire courses that are taught on the Great Depression. 
uh, in in some colleges. And to think about the two big superheroes, I mean, I'm I'm over a DC man, so I I my heartfelt apologies to the Marvel guys out there who <laughs> feel like that their people are underrepresented. We'll get to them eventually. Well, despite the fact that they have right now the most successful movie franchise out of all of the comic book characters, yeah, that and are arguably the most just throwing it out there, and arguably the most successful comic book franchise as well just the comic book company but um i find it interesting that you know why is it that both superman and batman are orphaned characters and you also have characters like a little orphan annie you know right. i'm wondering was there a rise in orphans at this point in time was there a rise in, of, of well there's certainly mortality? yeah i mean there had to have been i mean there was a huge rise in uh, and poverty, and a lot of kids, you know, ended up being out on their on their own, out in the streets, having right. to survive. Yeah. So it was never f- flat out said um, in the comic books because these are, they were originally marketed for little kids, though they're not read by children anymore. Right. Hardly. It was kind of this little subtle way of saying, "Oh, they're like me," and it goes back to the being able to identify with them. Sure. It makes it really, really personal. See, when I was a kid, we didn't have a whole lot of money. I mean, we we weren't we weren't dirt poor. We had a roof over our head, and we had two parents working, and we we had a, and all the food that we needed to eat. So I don't want people to think that I'm singing some you know sad swan, song, swan story. But we had to really budget it, you know. So I didn't really have a whole lot of um, what a lot of my friends did, which was you know uh, an allowance, right? And they could go down to the comic book store and buy a comic book. My exposure to comic books and superheroes began at the library with a extremely beat up uh, comic book that I would rent out of the library <laughs> that I would check out there uh, that were usually not the greatest of the, the comic books either. But one thing that my public library had was an abundance of X-Men comic books. And that was really my first exposure to the superheroes. And I really liked the X-Men. Yeah. You know, the, the way that they all worked together uh, and how diverse the team was, and how many, sure. you know, how much, how many different powers they all had. Right. You know, it was it was really cool. That led right into you know like the the Saturday morning cartoon, which right. then I could watch without right. any problems at all. I didn't have to have any yeah. money to buy that. I could and, just watch that, and it was so good. And I am so glad you brought that up because they are really they are so original. I can't think of a mythological parallel that comes to those characters because they're so there is none. Different, yeah. you know. There may be some visages of mythological symbolism that you see in them. I mean, Angel, you know, has wings, looks sure. great. But the fact that they yeah. all come together and the way that they're all um, coming together, facing adversity, you know, because they are kind of the outcasts, right? You know, right. they are the ones who who society hates. Yet, despite that hatred, yeah, they still rise above that, right? And go out and try to help them out and take care of them. Absolutely, that has so yeah. many overarching overtones yeah. there. I mean, it's all over the place. Well, we have to bring up the brilliance of Stanley at this point because yeah. Stanley, if you haven't seen him in every single one of the Marvel movies, he is. He didn't start Marvel Comics. Because Marvel Comics has been around since the 30s and 40s. Right. He was hired on later after the war. Um, but he is the, the brainchild, uh, as well as, uh, of course, as well as Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and plenty of other great artists and future people who have added on to this canon. But he was the brainchild for many, if not all, of the major characters in Marvel. And so, first off, one man having a massive impact on millions of people. But the reason why he brought up X-Men was really, really clever because, first of all, he was trying to think of a way to justify them having superpowers because every other hero he had developed at that point had had something happen to them. Circumstantial, right? You yes. know, uh, Spider-Man was bitten by a radioactive spider. Exactly. The Hulk was... Gamma radiation, right? He's exposed to it uh, in his laboratory. Exactly. Iron Man was a situation where he had... 
he had to build money. the money. Ar- yeah, and, 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 and he, <laughs> he had to build to do the armor. something with it. He had to build the armor to survive. Oh, okay. Well, that's that yeah. Too, yeah. But um, but him was just like you know what? I can't. Let's just make them mut- mutants. Meaning they're just gonna be born with those powers. Let's yeah. just do something different. But it was that was the the crux of those characters though because they are immediately now they are born different. And you know you cannot. Uh, avoid the concept uh, or the the conversation, and at that time the concept of evolution. Yeah. Either it, it's an automatic tie-in. There's no way to get a, no way to get around it. Academically, you can't deny that either. But even more importantly, we're talking about this was being developed during the civil rights movement, right? And this was a very clever way of teaching kids to be tolerant of of those who are different yeah. than you. And X Men has continued to be the bridge for that. Um, and, you know, at that time, how many African-Americans strived to be in those types of jobs that they had been prevented from or barred from, but were still those those public servant jobs, sure. you know, to become yeah. a police officer or to become a doctor and even to be hated for it, to still want to go ahead and do it because you knew it was right and you knew you were helping people. Absolutely. And that's the, like the struggle that a lot of those mutants have in those stories. But even so, Marvel has now used that as a sounding board for all major social stuff. Because uh, did you know the first openly gay superhero was was in the X Men comic books? I did not know that. Okay, well, in, let me see if I can draw this out of you for a second. Okay. In your forays into the X Men animated series, okay. do you remember any episodes involving the Alpha Flight at all? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely. Okay. So for those who don't know, Alpha Flight was Wolverine's first team. Oh, right, when, right, when, right, with Sabretooth and uh, what's the guy with the tentacle-type dealios? Uh, Omega Red. You're Omega thinking, Red. Not even, well, there was... Oh, no, that was Project X, wasn't it? That was it? Project X, yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, that's okay. Alpha Flight was post-Weapon X program. Okay. Um, he was, literally, it was the Canadian version of the X-Men. It's basically what okay. it was. But they were working for the Canadian government. They were really polite. They were before very polite. They, before they knocked down any walls or barged in anywhere, they yeah. made sure they had a warrant and permits for yeah. all of this. And they'd be like, hey, A, we're going to, uh, you're, we don't really like, like what you're doing over there. Well, we're, so we're going to need you to stop that now because yeah. um, yeah. it's it's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he's got giant claws and we can't really control this one here. So, yeah. yeah. Can you do that for do us? That, Can you do that? Can you be that? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, he actually has two, there is these twins, Aurora and North Star. North Star, the brother of the two, is is gay, and really? he was the and when he came out, he was the first openly gay superhero in the Marvel in, in any comic book for that matter. Really, that's really, really interesting. I never and knew that. Even more so now, his character just got married. Oh, too. really? So he has now the first gay marriage in comic books. Wow, as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So Marvel has been very left uh, as far as the political spectrum yeah. has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've definitely been a driving force for social change. And that's just, I think it's just, it's very cool. It's very cool that we think of these things that at one point were so, to bring it back home, that were so criticized that they really are these big, important characters. And they really, that goes back to the mythological point. They teach us about ourselves. Yeah, because that's really, that's really why they were invented. Um, they were invented to, to help convey those ideas of mythology and, and, and you know the teachings that they were meant to give us in those stories and embed them into each and every one of us. And Absolutely. that oral tradition eventually you know led to them being written down, which led to them being copied, which led to them teaching future generations and other civilizations even the meanings of these stories. And now through uh, you know modern media, through the internet, through movies, through you know comic books being um, available in all countries now around the world, we can kind of do the same thing still. 
You know, we can use these guys as a as a as our teachers for teach us uh, all, all sorts of important social social uh, developments. Is there anything that we've left out? Because I'm ready to close this up. I have a great way of... Uh, uh, one thing I just wanted to, to jump in with real quick is... Sure. In ancient times, it was not uncommon even for people to reenact these stories <laughs> and dress up as these famous characters from history. Uh, that's almost talking about theater. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, too. Actually, I was thinking more of like the uh, the cosplay phenomena. <laughs> oh, really? So many people want to identify... With these people, with these superheroes, that they go to the to the great lengths of developing some extremely accurate and creative costumes, oh, and so you're really, actually playing them out. So you basically you're talking about like an ancient Comic Con, is what you're saying. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's very true. Absolutely, um, festivals in you know the being done in praise of these characters. And you know, I think a great way to cl- to close tonight is to talk about how I'll give you a couple resources. I don't know if they're on Android, but for any of the Apple technology, Marvel and DC have wonderful apps now where you, on your phone, iPad Touch, iPad, where you can go and you can read these comic books. Yeah. And you can download even some of the origin stories of these characters. Now, 70 years old, some of these are at this point for free. And uh, likewise, of course, uh, let's not forget our, our ancient heroes where you can download and find free versions of the Odyssey uh, and the, the epics of Hercules absolutely. And, and all these really great yeah. uh, ancient myths. Right. I'm going to beseech you guys, because that's the only word I can think of. <laughs> use an old word, use an old verb here. Um, I implore, that's the word I'm going to use. I, I implore you guys out there to get a hold of these comic books. DC has archives upon archives that they've printed in hardcover of like the first couple years of Batman, first couple years of Superman. Marvel's done the same thing with, with Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and all these great original storylines. Go out and read these. They still are as engaging as they were at the times when they were written. And you can really see it, get a really strong perspective of the times they were written. Yeah. Go to a library like, like Eric did and get a hold of these old comic books. Look up the Encyclopedia on Superheroes if you need to. These stories, their moral teachings are relevant and will be for a long time to come. Yeah, and it's a way to, to fake your way into learning history because you're learning about, you're not just learning about a date and time, you're learning about what's happening at that time and how it reflects that time. Exactly. And remember, folks, don't take our word for it. Go out there, find out this information for yourself, and share it with us. Let us know, because we want to hear your feedback. We want to hear you guys engage us on the website. Tell us what your favorite superhero was, what it meant to you, you know, when you were growing up, and, uh, you know, maybe if we've left out anyone in the ancient world, you want to tie them in, or, you know, I'm sure we've left out countless stories uh, of of modern mythos, but... Give us some, some give us some tips on some of those older ones out there. Maybe we'll do an episode two, a, a tie into this one, a I, sequel. I would I may be so so bold. <laughs> I would love to do that. Cool. You can follow us on Twitter on at uh, Nerdonomy. Please reach out, out, up to us there. You can also find us on our website at nerdonomy.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Uh, good night, Brian. Good night, Eric. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.